the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello, Disruptors. Welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. I am your American dental hygienist host, Melissa Obrotka. Hi, and my name's Tabitha from Australia. So we have a juicy, and I mean juicy, podcast for you today. We have the one, the only, it's the dental hygienist, Tracy Baker. Hey, Tracy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Welcome. How are you? I am awesome. How are you? Awesome. Pretty busy. That's a quality problem. I like it that way. (laughs) So before we dive in, I want to um, share an amazing little uh, review we just got today. So uh, this is from our friend Kim, who is listening to us from my home state, New Jersey. Um, She reached out and she said, been listening to your podcast and I have been loving it. Uh, She said that not other podcasts capture my attention like you guys do. And I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and voicing your opinions. I cannot wait for future episodes. So shout out to Kim. Thank you so much for your review. We love them. So please keep them coming. Please subscribe and share, share, share with your dental nerd friends. Now we do. I'm just really happy to see them. So it's really, really good. Thank you. It It is. We love, love, love them. So before we uh, really dig into the fun that we're about to have, this amazing, amazing woman that we're about to interview, uh, Tracy, she has like, she's just phenomenal on Instagram. She is killing it over there. That's actually how I met the Dental Hygienist through her Instagram feed that felt like it was speaking directly to me. And um, she's just such an amazing woman, a wealth of knowledge, and she just gets it. Like her whole thing is disrupting the dental status quo, you know, doing things differently, not following the legacy protocols that we have have in dentistry. So I am going to sit back and let this woman introduce herself to you all, and you get to know how awesome Tracy Baker is. So Tracy... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, why dentistry? How did you find yourself in this industry? Um, I had the opportunity to miss a half a day of high school, like every day, if I was able to work in a in a dental office. So there was a program. I was in school in Canada. They call it the co-op program there. You guys call it something else, but I was in an assembly. All the teenagers in the auditorium and they had a, you know, you could go out and work in a dental office as a dental assistant if you had a biology class. And I was just, I wasn't looking, I was looking for anything. It was like, all I heard was you can have every afternoon out of school. (laughs) And I was, I was down for that. So I was looking desperately and I saw dental assistant and then I had biology and I um, approached the teacher afterwards and and that's how I ended up there. Now I didn't. I may have been out of school every afternoon, 
um, it backfired on me because the whole afternoon in the dental office was way harder oh, than sure. being in school. That's where I discovered that, you know, dentistry is, uh, it's not a cakewalk at all. No, nope. but I, it was, um, baptize, baptism by fire for me. I love that. So when I was, I was really, really lucky though, that the placement that I had was in, um, it was actually on the air force base I grew up in an army town and so money wasn't an issue there the whole office functioned on the what the patient what the care the care that patients needed was the care that patients got imagine that so that was my first toe into dentistry and i was able to see what it's like to work in that environment and let me tell you it's amazing Ugh. It's just, here's what you need and here's what you're going to do. Also, you know, it's the military. So if they have an appointment, if they don't show up, they got court-martialed. So it was really an ideal situation to be wow. in dentistry. That's so, like the dream. Um, that was 100,000 years ago, though. So <laughs> if you talk about ideals, and so, you know, having that be my first taste of dentistry, of patients show up and you get, and they get what they need um, based on the findings. Uh, that's, you know, how it should be. And it's actually how it was. So that was definitely one of the things that I think has, um, really influenced, um, my, my processes that I, uh, work on myself or work within the frameworks that I work within when I'm cl working clinically and those that I teach offices. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's what it's, that's how I got in there. So I went to um, hygiene school. It was a four-year course back then. And I was also then in an environment where uh, it was the year that I graduated was the year that Canadian hygienists got independence. Wow. Right. So they're self-regulated and self-directed. So um, that was i just had a different experience when i ended up in the united states it was there was a bit of a shock value of what was happening and what was going on uh, so i was just really really lucky to be exposed to some talented people and i think that's the common denominator because i've looked i've looked to see why are some hygienists just you know going putting in their time and leaving and they're fine with that I was never fine with that, right? I don't want to just um, do bloody profies all day and leave. <laughs> I, I, that makes me feel bad. So yeah, um, the common den denominator seems to be exposure to some kind of talent or um, education that um, opens their eyes that there's a different way to practice. Yeah, that that I so agree with that. Is that what it was for you, Brian? Right, like somewhere along the line, you met someone that was not doing the status quo. Yeah. Right? My first practice that I ever worked in as a dental assistant while going to dental hygiene school was the, the, it was a father son practice and the son was like superior. He was so anal retentive. Like some people didn't get along with him, but I just thought he was like the coolest thing ever because he did everything like to the nines. And that was my introduction into dentistry. I definitely think the practice yeah. that you join as as a new grade grad really makes a big difference with how your career goes because they set us when they're setting a standard when you graduate of what you are expecting, 
And um, so I think when you go somewhere that's not that great, it can really not be a great start to your career. And, you know, we, we did a new grad episode recently and one of the big things Melissa and I are really stressing is it's not just you being interviewed. Interview that practice as well because that practice is a reflection of you. So if they're not doing the right thing or they're not setting the right tone, it reflects on your work and your reputation as well. So go somewhere where that you're proud of and go somewhere where they're, they're raising the bar and they're pushing you. You want to be challenged all the time. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see that too coming from academia. Like, you know, I like to push the students that I work with clinically and I'll I'll tell them that before we even start, listen, I'm going to push your boundaries. I'm going to make you think. I'm going to make you think outside of some of the things that we talk about in other courses. I'm going to make you really challenge yourself and expand your knowledge base here. So Get, un- get comfortable with being uncomfortable because I'm going to put you there for the next four hours. <laughs> but I think that's what is good. They're, now they're exposed to someone. And it's just really important, I think, hygienists or dentists, anyone, you have to question things. Like you just can't, you know, do what you're told when you are in a patient care environment. You have to make sure that, you know, it's evidence-based. Imagine that. Absolutely. Yeah. What a concept. Wow. Right. Yes. It's been oh, really nice exactly. though here in in the United States now. So for a long time, um, new grad hygienists or newer hygienists, the goal was just somebody hire me, right? It yeah. wasn't people were like, I'm not interviewing anyone. I went to school, I have a school loan to pay off. Please just I just want a job because it was a very competitive market here um through the early two thousands. Um but that's changed, which is, uh, there's, you know, thank goodness the supply and demand has gone up because, um, you know, in the past 20 years, if you needed a hygienist, you could put out an ad and five minutes later, your fax machine was, had all of these, because we used to fax things, right? <laughs> all of these resumes coming in and you would have 20, 30, 40 resumes from hygienists and you had your pick of the bunch. But now, um, most of my DDS clients are needing a hygienist or an assistant and will they'll put an ad out and it's crickets. So I, I mean, the number of DMs and calls, emails that I get in a week, do you know a good hygienist? Which is a question of, yeah, I know all of the hygienists are good hygienists, but um, you know, everybody's looking for a hygienist right now. So the market's turned around a little bit and I, it needed to. It definitely needed to. For sure. And that's one of the things that Tabitha and I like to do is just share um, with our audience that you have more power than you think. You know, you need to be negotiating for certain things. You need to be presenting these offices with a contract because then when something isn't being delivered, like instruments that you need or technology that you were promised, you have that to refer back to and say, hey, you said that this was what you were going to supply me with to work in this practice. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can change the game right now because of the supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. And the, what, you know, here's another thing, having been in hygiene so long, I can tell you that uh, we're not making any more money than we were 20 years ago. Just saying, but we're, the cost of living is, has definitely risen. One of the things that really 
has always, it doesn't bother me because I can handle it, but I hear other hygienists come to me and they have this issue, but you know, I know what I bring to a practice. I know what I can produce for a practice and um, there's no risk in hiring me because I get paid on what I'm produce, what I produce. Uh, but when other dentists will, you know, hear that I make more than the average a hygienist is paid or whatever it is, you know, I hear that hygienist, well, hygienists don't get paid that much. Well, we're all different. Like what other hygienists make has nothing to do with what I get paid or you get paid. You know, we can't, we can't just set a market rate if the hygienist is bringing more to the practice right? There's not a, there's not a limit. Nobody puts a limit on what you make as a hygienist, right? Just because the doctor says, well, hygienists don't make more than 500 a day or whatever. That doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a systemic problem in the U S and yes, you might say, okay, you know, I, I want, if you're, I don't ever work with by hours or days um, because it doesn't work for me. But when hygienists that do, if you're going to go in and ask for, I'm in California, so remember the the rates are higher out here, but if you're going to go in and ask for $65 an hour and the response is, hygienists don't make that much. You're like, how do you know, right? It's just don't let them tell you what hygienists make because it's not true. I know lots of hygienists that make lots more than that. I think it's a little lower on other areas of the country, but there's also a lower cost of living. And don't even get me started on on uh, scope of practice for hygienists across the country. So. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I will. I'll go into a rant. I will start to rant. Well, we're gonna we're gonna so. parking lot that rant because we probably need to hear it. Okay. Um, so, how many years did you grind it out as a clinical hygienist? I I was actually working clinical hygiene until before uh, the pandemic, one evening a week, uh, because I I I mean it was really stressful in that I'm running my own business and, and still getting to a clinic one day a week. But what has happened over the years? I've worked uh, in consulting or business development and not clinical hygiene, or I've worked straight clinical hygiene, and I. I'm always missing something. So if I'm only doing the educational business development part, I miss clinical. I'll walk into an office. I see hygienists there working with their patients. I'm like, oh, I wish I was in there doing that. <laughs> but when I'm only working clinical, I really miss the um, satisfaction of helping people succeed, practices. You're a teacher. You understand that, right? Yeah. So when they get it, and it's nice to be able to do that too. So I have been for most of my career trying to balance that and there isn't one. So <laughs> there just isn't one. And I, so I, since the pandemic, I haven't gone back since the pandemic, but I was able to uh, just um, pivot a little bit in how I'm delivering, like everybody else, every other company, right? I was already on a digital transformation and that just um, kicked it into high gear. So I, I haven't gone back because now I don't have time to go back. So yeah. give us, I don't have to sleep. No, no I, I know you, and I know that that's very true. I, I'm an early so, riser. I get up at like five in the morning every day. That's just that's just how I operate. And there's times like I've sent Tracy a message. I mean, she's she's in California. I'm in New Jersey, so there's a three hour time difference. So I've sent her a message, 
and I get a response, like thinking I'm not going to hear from her, something I think about, like I'm brain dumping and sending it to her. And then I get a response like two seconds later. I'm like, why are you awake? Like, oh, <laughs> I haven't gone to bed yet. I haven't You're gone getting to bed up. Yet. Yeah. She's like, I haven't gone to bed yet. I'm like, you need to go to bed right now. <laughs> so uh, give us the details. You kind of told us how you transitioned out of the op. Give us the details on your biz. What is it all about? So um, we help dentistry-based entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to understand the business side of dentistry or even just the business side of business. Um, the, big, um, the big jump, the big fill-in there is that, um, you know, if, if you're selling something in dentistry, whether that's um, clinical dentistry or your consulting services or a class, CE, it's the difficult jump there in getting business is you understand what it is that you do. So it's this, if these people knew what I knew, could see what I see, understood what I understood, you know, then they would be wanting to do business with me. But there is a jump between actually um, setting up a business, starting a business, and then um, getting people to buy your business. That's a process. And that's the process that A, they don't teach in dental school or dental hygiene school. And those that are wanting to jump from the clinic um, into a knowledge-based business, well, they don't know any of that either. So oftentimes business, dentistry-based business, whether you're setting up a practice or you are setting up a consultant consultancy, um, we think, well, I can start a business, right? I'm going to register for a business. I'm going to buy the stuff for a bit. I'm going to get business cards and I'm going to get a website and a brochure. And then I'm going to hope people buy my stuff. It, you know, and that's a difficult jump to make because in the reality is it's much more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. uh, then you'll hear doctors or, you know, clients, I need more new patients. I need more business. What do they do? They spend 30% of their income on this mass marketing campaign. And there are really talented people out there that can do email marketing and Google and SEO, um, all of the things, right? And they do, they get these people coming in, but they don't accept treatment or um, it, there's a lot of free consultations done and nothing gets converted into actual business. So I really have a method. It's my particular methodology. There are lots of marketers out there and sure they can get you patients, but we work on getting you your patients, not any patient or your client, not any client. So, you know, there's ways to um, attract your business to you. And if it's not attracted to you, they wouldn't probably want your services anyways. And that's what branding is. A lot of people think that, and we do more than branding. Branding is, is a portion of what we teach businesses. Um, but branding is not, um, it is not your font and your color choices and your logo. That's part of it. But branding is, you know, you said at the beginning, you mentioned my social media, you know, you, you liked it and people have liked it. I've never, you know, I honestly, I've been on um, Instagram for a year and a half now. I had never been on it before ever. So I didn't have the app. I didn't know what it was about. 
anything, but people um, like our content. If they don't, they're not following us. So, you know, I know that people like our content, but there's a reason that the people that like our content like our content. And it is because um, we do the research, right? There's a certain um, client, there's certain eyes we would like to see our content because those are our, are our highest possibility clients for our company. And so we do the research and make sure that we are using that language and there's a brand voice and there's a, there's a lot to it. So I teach people not to attract customers, to attract your customers, the customers that are going to probably want to do business with you. And that's the art of branding. Um, it's also really important if you're going to be on social media that you're pro if in your business that you are providing value to people right people want to get something you have to give them a reason to follow you a reason to sign up for your email to uh agree to get your text messages like you have to um you have to give them something mm -hmm. and it's way more fun that way too so you actually genuinely build relationships. Um, the best way to run a business is to see less people for more money for a long time. And that's only going to happen if you are giving people value, delivering um, more than, you know, we want to exceed expectations and, and they and make it so that they want to stay with your company. So when we're doing dentistry and we're rifling through patients all day, I need more patients, more patients, more patients. Like, no, you don't. No. Um, and you don't, so like people also, I want to make a hundred thousand a month or whatever the, the practice wants to produce. Why? That's not the marker. The marker is widening a margin, right? Because just because you produce $200,000 a month doesn't mean that you're making a ton of money. Yeah. Right. You have to not worry about that. So I always talk about like, like, no, why don't we just see four patients a day and make more money than we would? So that's what dentists don't learn when they come out of dental school. The unfortunate thing is that this business model that is very common, uh, almost universal here in the United States is that um, they're stuck in that business model because they inherited it from every other job they've had in dentistry. So they they don't have a vision uh, that there's even anything else possible. It's just this, this, I guess, is how it's done here. But it doesn't have to be that way. There are way better business models. If you sat down with a, you know, a, a business person, an executive, you know, that is used to that knows how to scale a business dentistry or not and you explained the business model of dental practices i mean it's a, honestly the it's a surprise especially those that are contracted with an, an insurance company that's why dentists are so stressed out because the business model the margins are too slim too slim the cost of labs and all of that i mean it's way slim and it does not have to be that way so do you think that's what we do yeah, it's, it's interesting. I really agree with you because I, as a dental hygienist, being able to look 
from the outside in sometimes at the dentist, you know, being able to look at every, see a bigger picture than they can see sometimes. I see some amazing dentists who are just super talented, but their business side of it is zero. So they have a really unhappy kind of work life because of that as well, because yeah. of the stress that that brings to them because they don't know how to like even manage people. I've heard a lot of dentists just say even the managing of people, they just don't know how to do it and they don't have those skills and then that causes turmoil yeah. within the office and or they just don't even know how to balance their books. And I've seen dentists go bankrupt because they didn't actually know what they were spending and what was coming in. They were just spending. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, yeah, there is definitely vulnerabilities. So when you don't, you know, dentists that don't even know how to use their own software and they have someone that's really great at the front office and they're taking care of it, well, how do you know? Yeah. Right? Because it's really easy to make those numbers look good. It's really easy to make it look like all that money was collected. Like, yeah, so you're back there toiling away, doing the work. And, um, you know, a lot of the time, maybe you're getting 60% on what you did. I just think that if you should get paid for what you do, yeah, that's all. I mean, not, that's so hard, but especially here, the insurance system, which is not an insurance system, dental, there's no such thing as dental insurance. Let's just all get that straight right now. Yeah. Um, it's not insurance, um, but when dentists sign up with the, those insurance companies, particularly the big gorillas, uh, they're maybe, maybe paying, they're paying 100% of the cost to deliver dentistry that they're only going to be reimbursed for maybe 57%. It's crazy. Yeah. So when you, when you take the cost of 100% cost on a 50% reimbursement, um, that's that's a slim that's a razor slim margin so now when the cash patients come in your cash clients those usually if you have like all cash that's when people start discounting right like if you pay me in cash today it's less because cash is cash but now here in the united states the because they're the margins are so slim on those with dental benefits that they see a cash patient as an opportunity to actually get paid for a change. And so we're not, they're not able to, um, to reward those cash patients like a business, a regular, healthy, normal business would. So it's, you know, a lot of that, but it all comes down to the fact that dentists went to dental school, hygienists went to hygiene school. They did not go to business school. And so I haven't gone to business school either. However, I have taken a ton of courses and had the opportunity to work within um, the corporate dentistry structure. And they are owned by, you know, at one point, like the head of Black & Decker, like big companies. And so I was able to start to learn and um, figure out what they are doing on the back end to be able to um, be highly profitable with this high volume business model. So um, I learned a lot there at Peak My Curiosity and I'm like, you guys, I wanna learn stuff. I like learning stuff. So if I don't know it, I wanna find out. So, and I've done a lot of um, studying on my own, courses on my own and running my own business. I have run it the wrong way so much that 
<laughs> now you get good at it. That's all. I've just been on the earth long enough to make a lot of mistakes. So, you know, I can resonate with that because I feel like that's been my journey in the operatory too. Like, you know, you learn from when you screw up more than you learn from anything else. And, and you have For to sure. be able to be humble and vulnerable enough to say, I only made this better because I messed it up all these yeah. other times before. And that's like the whole thing, like that analogy where, you know, you look at somebody and you're like, wow, they're awesome. Look at all the things they've achieved. Look what they're doing. But you see the tip of the iceberg. You don't see all of what's underwater and all the steps and the work and the mistakes and the going at it and learning and growing that they've done to get to what you're seeing now. So it's important that we keep that like top of mind, especially when we meet somebody because you not you don't know everybody's story and, unless they share it with you. But we always like, you know, I think it's your attitude too. Like you, like you said, we all like to keep on learning and that's what drives us and, and helps us grow. And we all, you know, knowing that the two of you, as well as I do, like we have the ability to self-reflect and, and do these things. And that's what I think is a special characteristic too. Um, yeah, I know well, that. Yeah. Talking back uh, a bit about you talked a little bit about people should get paid for what they do. And um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about production for dental hygiene rooms. And it becomes a bit of a dirty word in the chat room sometimes. You know, people kind of will jump down your throat if you kind of say, well, what's, you know, they talk about production as something that's, we're healthcare providers and this is something separate. But I think you have to balance it. If you, we don't have production, you don't keep the door open, we work in private dental, you've got to be healthcare providers and you got to make money. And if your boss doesn't make money off you in a profit, why should he keep you? Like I've, I, I understand that. So why do you think that's become like it has? So I run into this when I go into practices as a business developer, and I know that it's going to come. So I try to address it up front. Um, you know, there are um, healthcare providers, hygienists, who are they feel like um, they feel like like you said like it's a, a dirty word right yeah. that they shouldn't be concerned with with um getting paid at all because um they want to be more they want to put patient health first which is correct absolutely patient health should come first so i usually ask them um one when it's payday and you get your paycheck do you feel bad is anybody feeling guilty <laughs> over asking for their paycheck or receiving a paycheck? Is everyone fine with getting paid for the work that they do? And usually they are, right? As a matter of fact, if you didn't get your paycheck, you'd probably be very upset. Yeah. And so what they have to realize <laughs> is that we're not asking patients to pay for stuff we didn't do or stuff they don't need. We're simply asking them to pay for the value that they bring to their patient. Yeah. And the other question I will then ask them is, who is your customer? And I'll give them a hint. The customer is the one who has the money, right? And so typically they say the patient, the patient's the customer, but that's not correct unless the patients are giving you money, but I'm sure they're not. When we go to work, our customer is the dentist. Our dentists hire us to serve their customer, right? 
And so you have to really be thinking about that. Your customer is this doctor and he's hired me to care for his patients. And so I want to care for his patients. Uh, and I want to put their care first. Yeah. So why is it so bad to talk about money? Right. Patients pay for it. Unless, you know, it'd be great if I could walk into Chanel and they said, oh yeah, you can have this, but you know, for not that much money, like it's, it's just ridiculous. It comes down to, which I have to work on with almost everybody. I was on a, with a client dentist, um, the other night and, uh, cause I work all the time and, um, I don't know, we were talking about composites versus ceramic inlays on lays. And it was, I just, he had mentioned that, um, they're expensive. Oh, and I was saying compared to what, why are inlays more expensive than composites? No, they're not, you know, and they're looking at me like, what? I'm like, you know, a composite filling, which especially if it's an old one, you, they used to wash out posterior teeth. I mean, I would, my, me personally, if I was going in to have some kind of restoration on a posterior teeth tooth, I, because I know what I know, understand what I understand, can see what I can see. I am able to say, no, put the composite away, sir. Like I, let's get this, get a porcelain one done. It's going to last longer. It's just, a, it's a better restoration. And I am the type of buyer that I, I don't have money to throw around, but I would rather buy something that's like good and well-made and it lasts me longer. That's just how my philosophy of shopping. I don't want to buy just, you know, cheap stuff and then you replace it all the time. Mostly I'm busy. I just want to one and done. So when you look at it that way, um, it's actually not more expensive. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying that a lot of this comes from the fact that somewhere along the line, we don't think that what we do is, is um valuable mm. like it's not about price right it's about cost so um and especially when it comes to hygiene mm. i mean hygienists are the best kept secret in healthcare period so right. we what we what we do what we bring what we can facilitate within the patient is significant and what we don't do for patients is also significant but in the other way and it slays me so you know there's there's no patient in the world that when they understand what we understand and know what we know and see what we see that's gonna say no thank you let me walk around with periodontal disease until it gets even worse Right there, they don't say that. And so again, the, it's that journey from what the hygienist or the clinician knows to getting the patient to that, that is the big part that, that that's business. That's the business part of, of dentistry is that interaction is how do I transfer this, this understanding and knowledge to the patient in such a way that they also can understand that this is in their best interest. So even once they understand now, hygienists, dentists are going to say, oh, but they can't afford it. Yes, they can. Right. Yes, we, can. we opt them out right. so many times. Like we opt them out without giving them an opportunity to even make the decision. Like we decide for them what they can or can't have or what they're going to say yes or no to 
without even mm -hmm. presenting it to them. A lot of times I've seen that happen over the span of my career a million times. And, you know, I think it's smart. Like one of the things that I've been really successful with when, when talking treatment with patients is, um, you know, I'll share with them the problem, talk about what the consequences are for doing nothing provide them with some options for solutions because I'm not the dentist and I can't diagnose for you as if, but these are some of the options that they may provide for you. Yes, you can, not legally. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, these are, these are, here's the one calling the doctor going, um, did you want to look at that tooth too, doctor? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, Don't leave my room. Do you yeah. know how many times you've done that? Oh my God. Oh. Can you come back for a second? Because I don't yeah. think that you need, you know, we need to look at right. this. Or, hey, take another peek at that x-ray right there. What do you see on that right? right. Or you're pointing at it. This looks suspicious. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. Ah. So, Kills me. Like, I usually will try to, you know, the, some of the options may be this, this, or this, but we'll see what Doc says when they evaluate it and see what your restorative options are. At, at, at the end of the day, we got to choose something that's going to fit in your life. So we're going to guide you on that path and see how we can make this work for you. And it's, you're so much like, it takes the, I'm like, so I die. No, I don't <laughs> well, I can tell my patients that, you know, you, do you have a water pick? Yes. I haven't opened it yet. Well, it's 0% effective in the box. Yeah. <laughs> it works a lot better when you put it in your mouth. I crack those jokes or like I, you know, when they tell me they don't clean between their teeth. Do you not wipe your cheeks when you're done going number two? Like, do you wipe in between or not at all? Excuse <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk money at university. Everything's free. And then it's right. People get overwhelmed by the money when they graduate. But something I got taught really early on is, is don't talk about it. Just talk about the treatment. They can look at the treatment plan with the coordinator out the front. So I actually never discuss costs in my room. I just discuss treatment. And yeah, I, don't I don't think cost myself. I just think about this is what you need. I don't even look at the costs of what's going on most of the time. I'm like, this is it. And this is what you need. And because if we get caught up in a, oh, this is expensive. Well, that can't dictate how the patient receives treatment. They either need it or they don't need it. The cost is actually secondary to it. Well, you know what? We have a lot we got to figure out about our patient in 60 minutes. And I, if their finances is not, I don't want another job. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to know their finances. That's, I need to know about their medical health, their dental health, their behavior and how I can modify it so they could do the things I need them to do to get them healthy and maintain that. I don't want to know what they got in their wallet either. Sorry, yeah. ain't got time for that. Yeah. Obviously you need I to mean, be of not charging people money and then getting a shock bill. But when we're treatment planning and recommending treatment, then, yeah, I think you just treatment plan and recommend for what is needed. And, you know, they'll talk to you if they need a different treatment plan or if they need other options. But we have to be mindful of what they need is, is the most important thing. And, yeah, it comes with a cost, like Tracy said. We can't give it away for free unless you're planning to not get paid each week. <laughs> yeah. That's a simple it is. Right. My what I, my approach and what I teach is that, yeah, you're going to make your treatment plan for what they need, but it's going to be at the, you know, in the back of my mind, I really want this patient to get it done, not because of the money, but because it's what's best for them. And the patient side of it, because of what we've taught them along the way is 
usually going to, if, if we don't present it in the right way and understand what their buying motiva motivations are, if we can't um, create more value than the price of the treatment, it's not time to talk about money yet. So they will, you, you know it's time to hand them off to money person when they are asking you, how do I get this done? When can I get this done? Those sorts of things. And there are processes that are not difficult to learn, but people just don't know about. So typically um, you really want to not get to that part until they're ready. It's like, you know, if you're on a first date and they are, and, but really your goal is I want to get them in bed. But when they open the door, like, oh, you're not going to go, hey guy, come on up. Let's get it on. You're going to go to dinner first. You know, those kinds of things. You can't just go, here it is. I mean, you can, but, you know, um, get a dinner anyways. So it's really like there has to be some foreplay going on. You have to recognize that, you know, when is it time to go and, and, and uh, talk about money? And the biggest thing is that if you go into this with the understanding that there is never a situation where getting treatment uh, immediately is not less expensive. So if money is the problem, that's what I, you know, when people will say to me, well, I don't have money for that. So if money is the problem, then it's important we start right away. Yeah. Because today, now is the cheapest it's ever going to be for you. Yeah. Yep. So it's only getting it more expensive. And so I hear you. So if, if now, now we're having a money conversation, I'm, I'm happy to have a money conversation because it's very easily, especially here in the United States where, you know, we do not have universal health care, right? People pay for their stuff. So it's all kind it's, there's so many comorbid morbidities now with every patient that we see. And in hygiene in particular, um, I, I think they're up to like 59 different, you know, associated diseases. Um, they'll never ever have the scientific absolute proof because it's just, we can't do the studies that we needed to do in order to prove these things. But there's enough of a relationship and I've been doing it, you know, anecdotally long enough that I'm here to say that, yep, um, hygienists can make you have more energy, can make you have better sex, can make your cholesterol go down, can stabilize your blood sugar and your high blood pressure, can get you pregnant faster. I mean, there's so many things that hygienists can facilitate for a patient. It's ridiculous. And they're, you know, so they can pay for fertility treatments and Viagra and high blood pressure medication. Um, you know, we can add years to people's lives. And I don't say that lightly, but part of that whole, you know, I don't want to, I'm going to do bloody profies all day. I don't want to bring it up. Insurance doesn't cover it. Oh my God. They might have to pay $150 for an extra hygiene visit a month. Like that is like, are you kidding me? You're costing them money. So it really is about owning your power, understanding that what you do is significant. And I'm here to tell you that you're not gonna hear from a lot of other people out there, like the dentist isn't gonna come in and go, oh my God, you save lives all day. Right. They don't. <laughs> they don't even understand why you, it, it's not okay to have a bloody profi. They don't get that even. Um, 
because I have, you know, one of our programs that we offer, um, Dennis is million dollar hygiene. And I hear all the time, hygienists can't produce a million dollars in a year. I'm like, yes, they can do it all the time. And, um, it's because their perception, they, again, that whole thing, they only know this business model because they've inherited inherited it from every other practice they've been at. They get in out of dental school or dental hygiene school. A lot of people get into the corporate dentistry, right? That's a high volume business model. Yeah. And they learn that. Then they try to transfer it to private practice and it does not transfer. It does not transfer. It's a whole different model of care. So, you know, it's just, it's really, I'm trying one dentist at a time to, um, show them that this is not a successful business model. It's stressful. It's hamster wheel. And then we have on top of it here in the United States that hygienists, uh, we have all the responsibility. We can lose our license, right? All of those things, but none of the authority, Hmm. right? So I'll go off on a tangent for that. But, um, yeah, like it's such a unfair, toxic, uh, situation with, uh, we're not even considered a profession in the United States. So you guys are to have it better, Tabitha. Yeah, we're, we're quite, we're, we've been making a lot of uh, changes in the last 10, you know, den- dentistry has changed a lot in the last 10 years. So we've been able to get independent practice and we're now able to, you know, own our own practices without dentist involvement. We don't have to have a structured relationship as they called it anymore. We can be um, independent and they've also opened up that we can now um, increase our scope with continuing education because we were actually held back that dentists could increase their scope, but we couldn't. And we've won that right to increase our scope as well. So, um, look, it doesn't come without Yeah, but we're, we're getting there. And it, it surprises me so much when I look at the states at how far behind because we're actually a really new profession in Australia compared to America. You know, in the 80s, we did, we weren't we only had one training school in australia and all the hygienists came from america the dentists would fly them in and pay them to move to australia and that's how the whole of hygiene started was american dental hygienists so a huge thank you to them in australia because they've really set it up and and brought in that experience into australia because it was illegal in the 70s to be a dental hygienist in australia wow they they took licenses off dentists in the early 80s for hiring dental hygienists like so we've come a long way, but, you know, hygiene in America is such an established profession and skill, and it just shocks me that that it's taking so much to push back as well because you've been there for so long and proven the importance for so long, and but you're still fighting for, you know, diagnosing. <laughs> Which I- the, th- the problem is we're not fighting. The problem is we're not fighting. Yeah. We're not. There are some loudmouths like myself, um, but mostly we're not fighting. And um, it's not, uh, you know, it is a very separate and different profession. And we offer entirely different services if we don't have handcuffs on. Yeah. Right. But mostly we do. And the fact of the matter is here in the United States, um, I hear a lot of lip service, right? So yeah, ooh, we want to be um, separate and uh, self-regulated, um, self-governed. 
but uh, I'm in California, so we have been making a lot of strides here, but we had to have a legal fight first over separating from the ADHA. We didn't want to have any, we wanted to have our own, and we made a lot more strides once we um, were no longer um, had the handcuffs, the handcuffs on there. So I think that, you know, the systems that have, the associations that have been around I mean, I've been in the United States now 22 years, and we have had a national hygiene association for 20, 20 years that hasn't really made any headway. Um, where in California, you know, I think it was seven years ago, five years ago, when we separated, we already have started that process. So it's possible, um, but I don't know that it's um, a priority everywhere. And, and um, maybe it should be. And that it's a it's a well supported association because they got a great brand, you know, and um, they're established. But that's one of the issues too. So I think there could be better associations. I know there's a group I joined uh, out of uh, where was it Philadelphia, right? Pennsylvania, in California. Yeah. I just yeah. joined because I wanted to give them money, and that's a grassroots movement. Yes, and that is uh, the I'm really you should mention them because they could use some exposure. Okay. Even though there's just one in right now in Philadelphia, what are they called? They are the Dental Health again? Alliance of Pennsylvania. Uh, Lisa Mazianna and I. I, I forget. There's she's got a, a few colleagues that she works with um crystal i'm not remembering crystal's last name right now um but they're amazing women and they are really centered yeah. on the profession and the expansion of the profession and the thing that that really stinks for us here in the states is that we don't have a national license we have no portability and we like what's it, it so many of this defies our constitution as well because like i live in new jersey I can't use a laser. You live in California, yet you can. So like, why is my license different from your license? Why are, why are we even allowed to be governed by a whole other profession? That in itself is unconstitutional. A profession that benefits from that governance. That's yeah. the very definition of tyranny. And then really with that in, in play, what happens is, and this is normal in all groups that are in under a system of oppression, not, I'm not being melodramatic, that's just the words that it's called, but when you are governed by a body that benefits from that governance, that is actually, look it up, the definition of tyranny. And so what usually happens in the oppressed portions is that because they, they they're powerless against the, the, the tyrant. There's a lot of fighting down below. So it gets misplaced sure. that um, anger. And that has happened within our profession. You know, Canada, they also have different, um, you know, by province, they are have different things that they're allowed to do. Some have anesthetics, some don't some, but it's at least um, it's made a lot of headway. I think so. One of the biggest things that yeah. made the change in Australia was um, the year after I graduated, we had different rules per state as well, and you paid a different licence in every state. And I worked in two states, so I paid two licences, and then I also I could cross the road and not give local anaesthetic and could give it here, same thing. But we got national registration the year after I graduated, and that's when we really started to see change. When we got national registration, that's when all, it's like we got everything in, and it was easier because you're just fighting one person. But when you've got to fight 52 states 
individually, that's really difficult. So when we could just fight one, 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 that's when we really started to see that we made change. And um, but I think you need to start like a free Britney movement. There's got to be a free the dental hygienist movement in. Um, I think the best way to go is if we just started telling the public what's happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. So, they have no idea. They don't even know that we go to college and have a degree. I've had so many patients say, you went to college for this. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Yes. So, how- or how about when you get a patient in your chair tell them they have periodontal disease and they say, well, I've been going to the same dentist for 20 years and they never said anything. That's my life. That's what we need to be vocal about. Right. And, or I have potential clients that they don't want to move forward with expanding their practice or their hygiene because they have been telling patients one thing for a lot of years. Well, how am I going to tell them what the truth? Yeah. Hmm. You know, but you know, and I always, I'm sensitive to that. Things change. I mean, what I went to the doctor, I'm old. I was in, I used to go to doctor's appointments in the seventies and doctor's appointments. Now we do different things, right? I mean, my doctor used to smoke in the, when he was like seeing, when I was little, a girl, he was like putting a cigarette in the ashtray before he, things change in dentistry. And so I'm able to train doctors on that, that transition, how to approach change, but here's the thing. It's in the media now. I mean, patients do see the impact of overall health and, um, but it's just not done. And I have been in enough dental offices to see what is happening, at least here in the United States with, it's poo-pooed. It's just like, come in for your cleaning. Like we're not here for a cleaning. I mean, that's a method of one of our methods of bringing about health, overall health, uh, but that's not the point of a hygiene visit. It's a healthcare visit. So because it's a separate profession, we go to hygiene school. We learn the profession of hygiene. Dentists don't go to hygiene school. They really don't know that hygiene is a separate, that we have many more talents, expertise, skills, uh, knowledge on, and we can offer far more services. They just don't know. They have no idea. And that's why the thought of a seven-figure hygiene department is seems impossible but it's not that's actually called meeting the needs of patients right yeah so saving them lots of money what is the percentage of perio in our american population how many people are walking around with some form of periodontal disease well some hygienists will yell at me that it's only 50 percent when i post on instagram but it's it's up where you know if we say some degree of periodontal disease which is gingivitis on up here and who knows post COVID, everybody's all stressed out. Um, but it's upwards between someone, some say 75 and some say up to 90. So, right. Well, that, it's that going to depend 50, on that. that 50% statistic is from 2012. I was wondering, someone yelled at me about that. Yeah. It's all well, they didn't yell. They, they all capped me. Well, that's yelling. <laughs> that's yelling. And that's okay. You know, I, if you want a social media following, you need to elicit some kind of emotion. So maybe it's that one. That's fine. I was watching a, um, a good webinar with uh, someone, Melissa and I know Celso, and um, he's in Switzerland and he used to manage uh, a huge um, chain of uh, practices and he did all the hygiene departments. And in their statistics, they ran statistics over these um, 47 uh, rooms that 70% of the restorative work came out of the hygiene department. So, sure. 
we're like, yeah, we we are the engine rooms of that practice, and this is where and you, you and like his whole presentation is on. You get a good hygienist, and and your business right. is going to soar not just in what the hygienist can produce, which is huge, and that gets underestimated all the time, but also what we help you produce because without us, you can't have all these exams plus your work in your room. You need us there so that you can, all this work is yeah. coming out as well. So we're, we're a massive contributor to the practice and I think we get undersold um, on, on the regular of how, how important we are to a practice. And um, you get a good hygienist and you're going to start soaring. We are the only member of the dental practice that has two income streams. Yeah. Our production and yeah. what we are bringing over to the restorative time side. We are the right. only I mean, member. A part of it is you and I have had this conversation before somewhere is that, you know, there are some hygienists understand that like nothing's going to change i'm just going to try to make money and leave like because you do have to set it you know there i've been there where you're working in an office not doing your best work not meeting your potential because i have kids that need to eat and I, and i'm working here so um you have dentist you have hygienists also that don't because we have such different education state to state don't understand that you know the they don't look at it from that 30,000 foot view when they're viewing patients. For me, I'm selfish. When I do periodontal therapy with a patient, I want it to succeed. I don't want to even start if it's not going to work. Yeah. So go to the doctor, get your blood sugar under control, right? Like, let's not wait. Don't waste my time. I'm busy. But I'm, so I'm also looking at hey, doctor, um, here's what the periodontal condition is and what I want to do. So could you please fix this, this, and this? Otherwise, I'm not going to get the result that I need. So I take a very, you know, selfish view of it. But not all hygienists are, are trained to do that. Um, and then I know, Melissa, how you, you practice similar to I. Like, it's I'm not even going to look in your mouth until I have done a full medical perio oral hygiene history. Like, I or not having x-rays up that kills me how do you do patient care when you're you don't have your radiographs up like that was another one that when i was the national director of hygiene i was in um leading the hygiene team that 52 offices and so i traveled around a lot but i did trainings you know group trainings um once a year once every six months and i would really put that home that you um if you don't have your radiographs up, you are doing a bad job. Yeah. You cannot possibly yeah. be doing a good job without them. And so I used to say, if I come into the office and you're working on patients and those radiographs aren't out, aren't out then we're gonna sit down and do another training again. So I would like rock into an office and I would see them like scrambling on the computer trying to get their radiographs <laughs> up. So I did the same with the doctors too. Like they have to be up. Unless you have x-ray vision and you're Superman, they have to be up. Yeah, 100%. And if you don't value them, no wonder patients are saying, oh, I didn't want x-rays this time. Yeah. <laughs> because they don't they don't see the value. You don't value them. Right. Right? right. So 
So we have covered so many amazing topics in this hour. It's It's I didn't rant enough. (laughs) It's been such a pleasure. But I want to, before we let you go, Tracy, I have one last question. And this is, this is a little bit of a doozy. So we're probably going to go over a bit, but what is the single best piece of advice you can give to other dental professionals? Like, let's pretend I am like at my wits end. I am just like so sick of hygiene. My shine has been stolen. I don't know if I want to continue on anymore. I'm like a raw piece of me and I'm asking you to help me. What advice are you going to give me? Um, I would honestly, I think that by the time people get to that, like they have really, it takes a lot for hygienists to get to that point and dentists too, because we're not in it because we like, you know, to pick bacteria off people's teeth. We are in it because we're just naturally caring, nurturing people. And I know a lot of hygienists, associate dentists that stay in a practice that they maybe used to love, but they no longer love. But why do they stay a hundred percent of the time? But the patients, Yeah, we really do like the patients. And so, you know, if you want to stay in clinical hygiene, it's going to be key. Um, one that you are able to back up what you all just tell the truth. That's what it is. Yeah. Tell truth. Now you may need to back that up with some evidence-based research for some people, but at the end of the day, the truth is the truth. So tell the truth. This is what, this is standard of care. This is what the research says. And, um, and, and just stay true to you. Um, if you're ready to get into clinical, some people are, or they want to, you know, do both straddle it. You have options and, everything is possible. There's just a lot of, there's, there's ways to do anything. I know I get that all the time. You're so lucky you're not working clinically. I'm like, not really. I really liked that too. But, um, I've, you have to learn to run it. We all have businesses here too. So you have to learn that running a business part. So there's two parts. There is the business side of dentistry and you need to learn it, value yourself. Um, and what hygienists do is massively significant and don't let that go don't let it go you do and that's the truth no one can say it's not the truth like no you know they can do in their own mind try to devalue it but it doesn't make it not true so there are some really great places to work out there there's some really awesome awesome dentists that are really on board and you have just find your people find your people that's such also um here if you're an american hygienist listening to this uh, you, we have to get loud and active with regard. We are the only country left, only country left that are uh, ruled by the tyrant. And it's not Dennis's fault. It's just the system, right? It's not that I love Dennis. Don't get me wrong. It's the system is is broken. Yeah, it's broken. It is. It is. And he doesn't get a raise for twenty years. Come on, that's crazy, right? It is crazy. It's, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a new result. No, and expecting the same result. That's usually what it is. Oh, that's what I meant. You're going to do it. You know what's going to happen? No, I, no, you had the saying right, but I always turn it around a little bit. Like, if you do that, you know what's going to happen because you keep doing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It makes me laugh because it just makes me think of Jurassic Park. <laughs> 
the velociraptors throwing themselves on the fence to see which if it's going to work out or not yep. trying to find the weak link but no just keep getting electrocuted yep you know then they just do it again yes i have described some of my clients like that before <laughs> well i want to thank this you so great i want to talk to you guys yeah so much because yeah this hour was super powerful very inspiring and i hope that our disruptors can definitely take away many pearls stand a little taller and prouder in their their operatories and have some more confidence when they speak to their patients their co-workers their dentists and, you know, just rule that operatory and know your worth. And, um, you know, if if anybody wants to reach out to you, Tracy, because you have different coaching options and things that you offer, how can our listeners get in touch with you? The best way is just shoot me a DM on Instagram. So you might as well follow me while you're there. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're not following oh, Tracy on Instagram, you need yeah, to. Yeah, that's really good. I put a lot of content out on Instagram because nobody needs a website these days. So yeah, I have all kinds of opinions, disrupting opinions. Follow. Guys, thanks so much for having this podcast because it really is important that somebody is, um, is going against the grain and going against the status quo because it needs to be gone against. It certainly so does. So thank you. It certainly does. It's not easy to put yourself out there. And, um, you know, let's start the hashtag free the dental hygienist. <laughs> we'll start the movement. So we do have hashtag no more bloody profies. Yes. So that's the one that I've been using. But I like we need to actually Canada had one for a while too. Definitely. Free the dental hygienist. Something. Hashtag that people in all of your hygiene posts. Make sure that you're following the dental genius on Instagram and keep it's on. the dental hygiene. It's the Dental Hygienius. And keep on disrupting. Until next time, bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers, and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episode you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.